This is Do Good and Do Well with me, Sarah Fox, the podcast where we explore how you can help make positive change in the world without losing yourself. Hi everyone and welcome to the Do Good and Do Well podcast with me, Sarah Fox, a coach, mentor, mother and very proud ginger. In this podcast we explore what it is to desire social, environmental change and how to be part of it without sacrificing our own lives in the process. You're listening to episode 34 and today you'll be hearing from photographer and activist Rebecca Douglas but before that it's time for Sarah's Suggestion. This is where I share a small tip to help you do good and do well. Today's suggestion is all about feedback. More specifically, it's about positive feedback about you and how you can use it on the days where you might be feeling rubbish about yourself, when you feel like whatever you do, it's just not working, when you feel like you're not good, certainly when you're not good enough. Maybe you've been criticised by others. Maybe you've been criticising yourself. We all need positive feedback. Nancy Klein writes about feedback in her book, Time to Think. She says, too much criticism drains the mind and the body of the desire to move forward. She then says, every day the world pulls us down, shakes us up, slices into us, laughs at our attempts and belittles our triumphs. We legitimately need to hear afresh every day a few things that are honestly good about us. Most important of all, these good things will help us keep thinking for ourselves with courage and clarity. She goes on to remind us to give positive feedback to others, to remind them of their strengths I want to invite you to really notice when others remind you of your strengths. And more than that, I want to invite you to collect all of these pieces of positive feedback into one place. So, for example, I have a folder in my inbox. It works really well for me. I put in any positive feedback I get from clients or colleagues. And when I'm feeling down in the dumps and thinking, ah, what am I doing? Why can't I do this? I have a look in that folder and remind myself that I can do it and that there are people out there that really believe in me and there are people who I am helping. For others, it might be something more visual that they keep on their desk Some people like to put post-it notes up or it might be a positive feedback version of a vision board. One of my clients created a little book and they include cuttings of feedbacks or she writes down anything that she's heard. Whatever it is, it needs to work for you and it needs to be accessible so that you can remind yourself really quickly of how brilliant you are You can fill yourself up with courage and perspective and gratitude. Let me know if you do this already and what works for you. Or if you try it, let me know how it goes. 
In today's episode, I'm sharing the conversation I had with Rebecca Douglas. Rebecca is a photographer who tells brand stories with authentic and soulful images that anchor their values and vision. She specialises in working with purpose-led brands that have people and planet at the heart. And if any of you have seen my social media, you will know the work of Rebecca because she took my photographs and she is incredible. Most recently, she's been using her talent to also highlight environmental crises and sustainability. Rebecca, she rocks and I'm thrilled to have her on the podcast. So with no further ado, here's our chat. Hello, Rebecca. Welcome to the Do Good and Do Well podcast. How are you today? Hi, Sarah. It's so lovely to be here. Thank you for holding the space for me to come chat. I'm really looking forward to your questions. I don't know (laughs) what's coming. So (laughs) I sit here with uh, curiosity and... um, anticipation because I love your your podcast so (laughs) thank you and I saw you put something on Instagram earlier showing that your lovely cat is it Cosmos was helping you prepare which I like that's good (laughs) he's 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 six months old today actually and um, I've never seen him quite get under my desk like that with because I don't really write stuff so I don't think it was the first time maybe he's seen me because it's all digital now he's like this pen and these legs stretching out so what's this (laughs) I was just making a few notes on um, themes you said we might touch on. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, he was just uh, proofreading those. So, hopefully, <laughs> very good. good. I, f- I feel like all creatures need to take this very seriously when we're having this conversation. <laughs> um, Rebecca, what would you like people to know about you? So, I am based in Ramsgate, and I am a branding photographer who has a real storytelling connection to the images that I create so I really love to work with purpose-led individuals who want to I guess better the world in um, everything Mm. they're doing has the people and planet at the heart of the work that they do Um, and then how we capture images that translate that so there's often quite a lot of nature connection that bubbles up in the the kind of the conversation and the areas that we're shooting in and so my work really bridges between seeing that connection between people and place and how we create those images to support people's epic businesses and uh, work and missions that they're on. Mm. Yeah, and in the intro, I shared with everybody that you took my brand photographs recently. Yeah. And that, that thing you're talking about in terms of people and place... For me, I mean, and and we had this conversation really early on about I wanted to do lots of the photographs outside Mm. because that that is very much something that I love and I love living in this town. I love living by the sea. I've always lived by the sea. Important part of the piece. And one of the reasons why I really love your work is because you manage to capture the beauty of the place and the beauty of the person at the same time and you know that's no mean feat when you're dealing with someone like me who <laughs> <laughs> hates having their photograph taken which is how um, everyone feels in front of the camera so that's actually quite standard <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um so yeah I think it's for me it's just understanding what you love about 
the world and the work that you do and then how we can sometimes see how night or uh, the time of day or the, the kind of the narrative that can come from the landscape as well as then the dialogue of conversation and reactions and emotion and um, fun and seriousness and all of those kind of feelings in between that we portray in those photos. And so I think I kind of pull on both things uh, and sometimes I can already see that there's epic light happening and people are looking at this thing going, what was she on about? And then <laughs> when you see the photos afterwards, you kind of, you see, you, you get what we were approaching and, yeah. and how we can weave that that into the images that we create. Yeah, and I remember when we were doing it and there were just things that you that you noticed, like you really observed in that space and that I didn't even pick up on whether that's a plant or a landscape or there was there was that amazing photograph that you took of me on the edge of the um I've forgotten the blimmin name of it what's that oh, bit? on the tidal pool yes yeah yeah on the tidal pool <laughs> that corner what I mean that's was... you walking out into the sea <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Rebecca, you know, and the, but it's it, 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 your sense. There's like such an attention to detail. Like, where does that come from? How did you? How did you get that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I've always been distracted by nature, and um, can be kind of walking along. I'm gazing out my window now while I'm saying this. Then, if a bird lands, I'm like, oh, there's a bird. But I, I think I, I've always been creative and encouraged to kind of create and see things and just be absorbed in what I'm doing and I remember I loved to draw with my granddad but I was never able to actually output anything <laughs> but obviously you were made to feel like you'd create the best artwork at eight years old but there's this really like kind of profound sunset that I drew with all of the leading lines of a road and the horizon and the sunset colours all going into this point and so for me kind of looking at that tidal pool we had those two lines of the square drawing in the lines of the horizon and then you were like the sunshine in the the middle of that so I think if you are encouraged to see things from um just innately I guess and I've been very lucky that that was sort of pulled out by the elders um Mm. that it just is something that then I think is almost like a kind of blueprint when these scenes come together and then particularly with photography there's rules of composition with thirds on the frames and also how triangles can be really um, powerful at pulling your eye in and some of the most powerful pictures you can look at when you start to look at all of the triangular shapes um, that are across the photograph you can see how that photo has so much impact because Mm -hmm. of these triangular shapes and it's just very pleasing to the mind to look at and so sometimes I don't necessarily think oh look all of these triangles I'm going to put you there but (laughs) then after that I've looked back at the picture and there were so many of these elements coming together Mm. in the photo it sounds like there's a real instinct to it as well and I guess that I guess part of that comes from practice doesn't it I mean you've been when when did you first pick up a camera and start shooting I think it might be 25 years ago so I I'd always just been interested in photography I think there's a picture of my kid my dad had a film camera and I'm like looking through this little camera about three but I don't recall it being anything I then did for a long time 
And then I got um, my first Saturday job was developing film in a news agency in Broadstairs. And it was back in the 90s. So it was literally 20, 25 years ago. Um, and um, the owner was amazing and he was very giving and supportive and helped me understand how to develop film, which was all of the very basic exposure, using the different chemicals for different times. And there was very much something you would do in camera, but also the process that you would apply to the film afterwards to create mm. different effects. Um, and he would let us as staff, uh, I think I was like £2 an hour or something, <laughs> but he would let us develop a film role for 50p and the company that he, he franchised from would always give a free film with every development. And then if I wanted to make any pictures from the negatives, then I was just charged, I can't remember, something nominal, like 10p a print or something. So what it allowed me to do was practice and just mm. shoot rolls of film. And so I always had a camera with me because I was able to experiment before things became digital. And then I got my first digital camera and I was... At uni, I was the one that would always take a camera out in my bag because it was before phones and cameras had had that union. Yeah. Um, and um, and I did geography, so then I think the kind of the connection to uh. landscape um, and the world, and it was the human geography, so that people and place dynamic really mm. fed in at that point. So, yeah, so it was quite an, an early journey, really, and I didn't realise how profound that would then become. I didn't know that you had done geography. I, geography was one of my favourite subjects. I absolutely loved it, yeah. both the physical and, and the human side of things. And and I suppose, yeah, that... You know, this is where we can start talking about your real desire to create a sustainable world mm. to, set, to save the planet. Because, you know, if you, if you follow Rebecca on Instagram, which I totally recommend you do because the images and the things that she says are just incredible you really see how much you care about the world and I remember when in Ramsgate there was a a crisis really mm. where it was all those plastic bits and they were foam weren't they mm. that, that had come and there were images of you going and picking up <laughs> <laughs> the pieces of foam <laughs> and but that real it's so part of you isn't it do you mm. want to talk a little bit about that yeah I mean that that incident was just so shocking because you see things on the news and you know that there's plastic in the ocean and it's caused by humans but to see it wash up in such a way literally at home was just so deeply shocking and it, it felt for the first time because I litter pick and that sort of thing and and you know it's, it's almost kind of we just accept litter as part of the environment and the fact that that is normalized is awful and particularly we've been up to Scotland and how pristine the landscapes are there compared to much more populated areas has really underscored that for me this year. And with that incident, I went down and it, it was just, it felt like an impossible task to how do you clear up tiny balls of polystyrene? Yeah. And I could see these things washing in with every single wave that broke on the beach was just depositing more. And so I'd set off, I'd taken a, when, when we have friends' kids over, we've got fishing nets, but the nets were too big. And I'd also taken a metal sieve from, <laughs> from the kitchen 
Because I just thought, I don't want to take the sand and I don't want to take away from the environment, but equally this needs to not be there. Mm. And Westcliff Beach, where it happened, is a man-made artificial beach and so there are groins. And so I just thought, well, on my watch today, I'm going to clean between one groin as best I can and started at one end and I know the tide was coming in, so I kind of had to keep aware of (laughs) the fact that I was going to get cut off at one point. And I just started sieving the sand and getting as much sand and returning as much seaweed and other organic matter back onto the beach, but removing as much of this plastic. But it was just, I think it's been the most impactful thing that has driven me now to want to do a lot more with my time on this planet to Mm. impact on um, things like that. And it was, I just couldn't get over. And I think then I shared about on Instagram and I put together a video of photos and I just got underwater housing to explore the sea, basically. And Mm. so I was able to then capture images that connect us to nature, much like we look at a park. This is on our doorstep. So we could see underwater what was happening and how it was clogging in seaweed and other um, marine life was being impacted on and being able to then share that and people the next day or the next tide were then messaging me and it kind of mobilised this group of people with their sieves (laughs) they were getting their kids involved and it became a because I think it was at the point where we were allowed to do outdoor exercise so people were yeah. Going down for their exercise, it wasn't time limited. So they just said, well, this is exercise. We're moving around and we can process and clean this. And people were then saying, well, we can't really find any. And so we, we got to the point where everyone started to engage and want to tackle it. And I know the council had put some, eventually responded to it. And yeah, as much, I think, as we could find on land was, was being removed. So mm. Yeah. You certainly inspired me because, well, I was walking the dog and <laughs> the only thing I had with me were these dog bags. And I was, I was thought, right, okay, I need to do something and started to pick things up. But as you say, they're so small. I was just grabbing handfuls of sand yeah. and I ended up with a couple of dog bags of sand. And then I was thinking, well, this is, yeah. I'm not sure I'm actually making a difference yeah. here. Um but so, yeah, there is something about having the right equipment in there to deal with that. But, you know, is that something that you want your work to do more of, kind of activate other people? Yeah, and I think as a as someone with the tools that can visually articulate these crises and engage people to think that's not going to happen on my... This is my doorstep, this isn't happening on my watch, but then it's bigger than being able to just see the plastic that watches up on a beach because really that is just a dot on this global map of ours. And so it's this kind of, I get goosebumps now, they're thinking that if that engaged people to do something and they've never engaged before, it's catalyzed that, it's opened the dialogue. And that's how my journey started with being more aware. And then you start to see the impact of things. And it's sort of like, well, polystyrene's awful. So am I going to go home and look at never using polystyrene again? Although this was an industrial piece that had broken down, but it still goes somewhere, it still breaks down. And so if that then had that impact with people that engaged with it that day, then that is just amazing that it's had that kind of ripple effect. And so I think there is a real power in every individual and micro steps and the ripple effect they can have with their peers and 
you know, if we all collectively contribute in that way, then change will happen because that gathers momentum at a very, very grassroots accessible level. Uh, yeah, I, as you're talking, I'm reminded of, um, <clears throat> I think it's a, a parable or a phrase or something, which is it, which is around, I think sometimes we are, we feel like we're just sticking plasters over wounds that really are never going to heal. Mm. Or, or we're, you know, picking litter up or ta- taking litter out of the seas and streams. Actually, maybe we need to look upstream mm. and see what's, what are the things being thrown into the river in the yeah. first place and how do we stop that from happening? So mm. I think you're right. If I think sometimes these sort of crises... They do activate you. And of course, we can all help clear up. But actually, what can we do that stops that mess in the first place? Mm, mm. Um, and some of it, you know, of course, is kind of much more global mm. and it can feel really overwhelming, can't it? Mm. Because it, as much as we recycle or don't take the car and walk instead, it's what difference are we making? Mm, mm. Um, yeah, that really resonates. And I think. I go through cycles of feeling like I'm doing things that have an impact and then just going, really? It's <laughs> without kind of, excuse my pun, like a drop in the ocean with things, but it is literally kind of like, how is me picking these bits of plastic up in a sieve doing something? But it's it made me realise that change doesn't come in your comfort zone. And if you get comfortable with things becoming normal that shouldn't be normal that are actually very damaging and very harmful and we start to just accept that then that's not a healthy kind of level to be living in and it's easy to get stuck there because it can just feel so monumental it's sort of like well what can I do what change can I bring but I think there's a lot that you can do and like you say it's that combination of we're here on the the sea where the rivers and the streams are coming from but where where do you look upstream Mm. and there is so much we can do on an individual level we are all um, able to make impact and influence with our voices and so when petitions come don't think oh yeah that's a great thing but not sign it like sign the petition um I think where you spend money now can make such a huge impact Mm. and making sure that um you know, just do do an audit because I've been looking at um, B Corp for my business, which looks at how ethical your business is run, um, and it's quite a challenge as a, a solopreneur to, to go yeah. through that. But they have the B Labs, which opens out all of these cascades of questions, and one of the biggest questions was so how do you communicate the things that you do to the people around you? What what do you share? And so, I think in an era where We can share things so rapidly with our peers. I talk about all sorts of things I do in the business, both directly with clients and then also more widely on social media because then that might just be something that triggers a thought for somebody else to Mm. implement or take forward or investigate things that sit well with them that they can start to do. And I think the kind of the money thing now and where you spend and how you spend, and I've gone through a real sort of, journey with minimalism in the last 18 months to two years where I just don't buy stuff now I don't need things because I've just seen this set of systems that we think 
we need to buy into to to be human and exist and uh, be part of society, I think a lot of these things we either don't need or if we need them, if we can afford to, choose to buy well, buy once and buy for the long term. Mm. And so that applies for any purchase I make in the business or in my life now, which is a recovering maximalist that would just be like, buy, spend, do. (laughs) I can't believe I'm saying this. (laughs) I know, that's it, that absolute buzz. So so I just think there is so much we can do and um, the governments are coming around to it and we've got COP26 in um, Mm. late October, early November, where, fingers crossed, all of these heads of state will come together and really look at making commitments and then hopefully fast and powerful action on those commitments mm-hmm. to bring about the change that we need to divert against a crisis that we all know is human-made. <laughs> and there's no yeah. denying that. As you were talking then, I was thinking about my daughter because she is, she's envir- she is environmentally minded, but she's also of that age where buying stuff is quite thrilling mm-hmm. and... Mm-hmm. We have lots of conversations about that and we have to say no to to lots of things. Mm. We we live in a world where we're constantly bombarded, aren't we, by seeing things that say they're going to make our lives better. Mm-hmm. The wellness industry is a, is a classic example of that, of how in order to be a good runner, for example, buy all of this equipment. Mm. I'm so guilty of this, mm. I have to say, to get fit, buy the weights and this and that and this and that, and then you'll get fit. And it's that promise. And, and so it takes real effort Mm. I think sometimes to kind of stop yourself and and say do I really really need this Mm. thing Mm. um yeah and it's habit I think habit as well Mm. definitely and and I think for like you're saying kind of the kids age there's so much peer pressure and wanting to fit in and show up in a way that's that sees you accepted to the tribe but then it's the wider narrative of the tribe is a finite end game that is harmful to everyone in the ecosystem and I know that's kind of explaining that to an 11 year old it's like <laughs> maybe not they took a conversation when they really want that thing that everyone else has got but I just think yeah the, there's all of these stats isn't there like the kind of the top 10% of companies create 90% of the pollution and all of these sorts of things mm. and it's like when you start to go gosh, we've just been duped into thinking that we need all of these things. And I think when lockdown hit and the biggest journey I've been on is suddenly realising the absolute essentials that you need um, to exist in a comfortable, fed, well way. And those things make you some of the most privileged and rich people on the planet without all of this extra stuff that we're being bombarded with. And I think for me, doing some work on privilege and looking at how, um, I mean, it's something that's always been a conversation I've had because looking at geography and development and how global structures and systems work, it's been work I've been aware of, but I think it's been work that I've really focused in on inwardly and then looking at how I can use that and make sure that I'm doing it in a way that is helping people and planet and 
I see that kind of as the the space for me and my t- my time here. And it's it's tricky though. It really is tricky. And uh, I think a lot of industries are starting to shift and come up with sustainable circular wealth or alternatives for things. But I think that's where nature comes through for me the most is that actually if you switch all of social media off and you switch all these things off that are trying to influence the fact that you need more and you see people's edited highlights and all of the best bits and then you're looking at your day-to-day thinking, oh, God, what? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Close all of that off. Get into nature and nature asks nothing of you when you're there, but what it can fill you up with is just so Mm. special. Um, And I think when we could only go for a walk a day, I mean, we're lucky that our walk is a beach here and I know that people haven't got access to that in urban areas, but it's some of the most fundamental things when you silence the hyper-consumption and the noise and the busyness and the kind of the pull to that can just fill you up in ways that you'd never realise were empty, I think, as well, so... Um, yeah that's such a beautiful way of describing it that sense of going into nature nature asks nothing of you but can fill you up in so many ways that real nourishing yeah when you're thinking about or do you I don't know you might not think about this but you talked about how you wanted to spend your time on this earth and you know if you're thinking about your legacy when when 95-year-old Rebecca is sat on a bench overlooking Westcliff Beach and remembering the time she picked up all the, <laughs> the foam, foam, you know, what is it you want to look back and be able to say that you've, you've done or you achieved? Gosh, I think that everything that I have moved to align myself is purpose-led for the fact that we're all part of one globe and one system and um that there needs to be much more equality in that and I just hope that through addressing the inequality that the last hundred years has profited on and built on we'll see that redistribution and see people living in much more connection with nature that you won't see people dropping litter because the generation your daughter is um, part of are the generation I think that are most aware and connected to the fact that um, the way that we grew up at that age isn't something that can be maintained. And so I, I hope that that change will have come through. And I think for me, my focus, because I'm drawn to the sea and the ocean will be around ocean advocacy um, and activism because without the water and life on this planet isn't really life on this planet and um, I think that if we can see it's one voice but it's one voice feeding into lots of voices and so if we can look back collectively and think gosh we we halted this we held people in power to account and moved to a place where everything had equal right and access and purpose on the planet um then that would just be a magical world to be part of mm. um so how i get there how i do that is something i'm starting to journey through yeah um but yeah yeah 
you said this earlier that photography is such a powerful way of visually articulating what is going on in the world. I was thinking about the magazine, uh, the children's magazine this week, and they have a kind of middle middle page spread of images and often there is one that is very what at least one that's very nature based it's a beautiful creature in the ocean or devastation somewhere and it, it and they always stimulate conversation mm, mm. with the children when we're looking at them it's kind of go oh you know what's happening there and mm. Is there anything that we can do? Or what does that mean for us? And I think when we have that big vision, when we know the difference that we would like to make, that really can drive us forward. We don't always know exactly what that's going to look like. We know what our skills are, what our skill set is, what our talents are, what what we love to do and what motivates us. Um, but knowing the exact way forward... Mm isn't always possible and that can feel quite scary because as human beings we want to feel certain we want to know <laughs> what's gonna happen yeah. and it's like okay I've got this vision yeah um <laughs> how do I how do I get there yeah and I said to you before we started recording that one of the things I really want this podcast to be able to do is inspire people to really feel that they can make a difference even if they don't quite know how mm. or what that looks like mm. but really tapping into knowing that there is something more mm. or that they have some kind of control mm. and I think coming out of the pandemic or the, the stage we're in we've gone through the most uncertain time we've faced as a a generation as a world and I think that can feel really overwhelming and you can feel very disarmed and powerless by that but if you can start to do things that are within your control that there's no certainty about what's down the river or what will come but if I do x and I make these changes and that's within my ability to do that and be able to maintain that then that becomes something that is an everyday tweak and change and then you feel like you're making that little bit of a difference and then once that becomes your new normal and routine what next what can you next build in and so rather than feeling this existential crisis that just sits there and my goodness for me it looms around the <laughs> 21st of December on the like the least light day of the year it's just my day of it's just so doomy um, but um, I think in those times of darkness and this is so cheesy but one of the things I get out of being in nature and looking at the night sky and seeing stars and then realizing a star is a planet is yeah. that we are connected to something so much bigger and in grounding in nature in that way that is just that little reminder that switches on that there's a reason and a purpose to keep pushing and keep trying to make a difference and I think that as we start to connect more as a community and in person you can start to find your tribe and people that share those values and beliefs and then you don't say it feels so isolated and alone and I think the period that we've been through it has felt very isolated it has felt very lonely and feeling like you're shouting into the void and nothing is happening but I feel like we are gently stepping into this time where 
those connections can grow. And I think the really exciting thing is, is like, how will they catalyze? What will come of that, given that we've all had this time to disconnect and think about with more purpose what the reconnection is going to look like? And I, I hold hope in a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And I hope people draw comfort from that as well at this stage that we're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rebecca, what does do good and do well mean for you then? I think, for me, I got to a point where if what I'm doing isn't good, how can that be well? I don't know if that's (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, in the most basic sense, but it's just kind of... I can't bring myself to get up every day and do something that I know ultimately is harmful to the planet and everyone that lives here. And it impacts most significantly on people that have very little control um, in other parts of the world. So I think that businesses and life and activity in general, I think, needs to be realigned to, is this good? Is this sustainable? Because if it's not, why is it happening? Why are we doing this? And so I think that's where I've really pulled back a lot of things in life and changes I'm making in the business and things that I'm hoping to develop and grow really have that thread and value kind of as a, an absolute foundation. And that's why I love your work in the talk about change makers. It's just, it's such a kind of, it's a positive do good, do well. And it's like, well, yeah, that's, why would we not choose to do that? <laughs> um, I think it's the, the the big thing, really. Thank you for for saying that and sharing that. Share with us some of the things that, if we're thinking about well-being, for example, and you've talked a lot about connecting with nature, which for you is is a massive part of that. You know, what else is there? What else do you love to do that really kind of fills you up and and keeps you going? I think it's things that allow you to be creative and you just kind of get into a state of flow uh, where you're not really conscious about things that are happening. And so on a wellness level, mindfulness, particularly breath work, is something that I do. I try and sit in the garden when I do it so you just have that sensory connection to nature and you can feel the air on your skin and, and hear um, birds and the kind of if sun's in and out just feel that change in temperature and I think it's it's nice to ground in that way outside I have learned music and so singing playing piano and sax uh, things that are just a complete creative outlet and so yeah and I, I, I don't think about anything else and I'm just sat playing random stuff on the piano so I think those things really really help and then I yeah learning about nature and reading about the universe is, <laughs> I think, when you look and seek out the good and just the sheer amazement of this universe that we're part of, um, it's hard to not feel positive and want to fight to protect all of these things around us. And so, yeah, I think my holidays, people, people are like, you never relax on holiday. I'm like, but being in nature is the relax for me. I'm sitting on a sunbed. I'm just like, I couldn't, I couldn't do it, but give me a sub-zero somewhere and um, 
a howling windy day that you can go for a hike in. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, it's like the ultimate recharge has occurred. <laughs> have you always connected with those things? Or have there been moments where you felt disconnected and then gone, OK, there's something missing here? Yeah, I, I don't think I've realised until the last decade or so how important being in nature is and I'd never travelled before 2014 really was when we first started travelling and seeing the world and realising also just how jaw-dropping places are and also how fragile that is and I think before that I'd always I'd lived in well I'd lived in Ramsgate all my life and then when I went to Union Sheffield I found being in the city really overwhelming um, and I didn't tap into the why of that and I think that's become abundantly clear um as that I need that that space and that time with nature I don't think there's been any kind of profound moments where it was sort of like this is the I know, suddenly I found myself in a forest kind of thing or anything like that but, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah I think it's and I think I even before I did photography and understood how light was a thing that you could paint with if you like because ultimately that's what photography is it always distracted me I always loved looking at sunsets and I I think it's just kind of an appreciation that I've had innately that Mm. has grown in how significant it is over the years Mm. there is there's something isn't there about really knowing yourself I hear so many things from people about what they don't want but really tuning into what you do want and what keeps you connected and feeling optimistic, feeling hopeful, feeling positive, and then really putting in place those things that help you to feel like that and and having to be... So for me, I know that going for a walk, going for a swim in the sea... All of those things really help me. I always feel really good afterwards, but I struggle sometimes with the motivation Mm, to get mm, out and do it. Yeah, yeah. So firstly, there's that understanding of what's important and and what we need, but then also doing it and asserting your needs, both to other people, but to yourself as well, and kind of going, come on, what's going on? Why don't you, you know, why don't you want to do this today? And... You know, it's going to help you. And I, as I get older, I suppose, and maybe this is what you're saying, that you, you can tap into that a bit mm. more. You can... We've had so many experiences of feeling better after going for a walk or doing a bit of exercise or, you know, whatever mm. it is for people, that maybe it becomes a bit easier to do. But I love hearing how... And and I see you walking that talk. Yeah. You know, I... I, I um. I see that in your photographs. I, I've seen that by working with you and the way that you have dealt with me, for want of a better word. <laughs> Connected with me, maybe yeah. that's a better way of saying it. Um, and hopefully people will come away from this really feeling like, OK, what I, I need to do the thing that makes me feel good and well. Mm, definitely. And I think... If you're in an urban area, there are still parks where I'm not. I'm not saying this is every day. I go to the beach and I put my toes in the sea. Like I'd love to, but like you, <laughs> it's the motivation, yeah. and it, it is. I am outside a lot, and my work a lot of the time takes me outside. So if I've got mm. a photo shoot outside, I may not then have done other outside stuff, and it's not an intentional 
decision and either or. It just seems to be, oh, yeah, but the shoot was outside and that was epic. And I think that kind of, if you can get outside or even if the park is a little distance away or a couple of bus rides connection to get somewhere that you really love, doing that and having that connection to being in that space, I think then it's like you're there, you've made this effort to see it and be there. And taking a flask of coffee and just sitting and enjoying being in a park in a city, you'll sit and you'll start to notice nature and there will be birds and there will be squirrels and dog walkers walk through, people say hello and there's that um, abundance of connection to other beings. And I think that's something that's really, really special. And so if it isn't something that's easy to access every day, it's holding on to building those moments in as and when you can to, to be there. Yes, thank you, Rebecca. We're coming to the end of our conversation. And yes, I feel very sad about it because I do like talking to you, but, but you know, likewise. we can have many conversations without it being recorded. An eight-hour um, podcast is quite intense. Yeah. <laughs> Where can people find you? How yeah. can they get more information about you and what you do? Sure. Well, my digital home is my website, which is rebeccadouglas.co.uk. Um, and then I'm on all of the usual haunts of platforms. <laughs> so uh, Instagram is Rebecca Douglas Photography, as is Facebook, and then LinkedIn, Twitter, Pinterest. Thank you so much. It's been brilliant. And you need to take me out on the paddleboard yes. soon, Rebecca, because I've got one. I haven't been out on it yet because oh, I'm a bit scared. <laughs> Literally this summer, um, there's hardly been any calm days down here. The swirl and the wind, I've, we felt yeah. so landlocked. And, um, <laughs> I'm just desperate to get out. So as soon as there's a flat day, I'm, um, yeah, I'll meet you down at call down me, West Cliff with me. our sieves I'm, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need, I need support. Thank you. Have a really great day, and I'll speak to you soon. Take Lovely. care. Thank you, love. Thank you, love. Thank you so much to Rebecca Douglas for joining me and sharing her thoughts with us. If you enjoy this podcast, please do leave us a review or a star rating or mention us on your social media. It really does help others to find us. You can find me pretty much everywhere on at Sarah Fox Coach. And for more tips, ideas, thoughts and a weekly reminder that you matter to sign up to my weekly-ish newsletter and take very good care.